title of my message today is asking the question, is God absent? Where is he in our time of need, our time of trouble? Where is he when he seems distant? Where is he when there are unanswered prayers? Where is he when there are desires that are unfulfilled in our heart? Promises we thought that would be kept that seem to not ever become a reality in our life. It's the trials, it's the troubles, it's the, the terrors that we go to. This is in the chapter 10 of the book of Psalms as we are continuing this series. Let me pray for us. I want to read these 18 verses. Please listen carefully to the verses. Don't bypass them waiting to get to the content of what I have to say. Uh, we want to uh, jump in uh, off of this, this, this being the platform and everything else being uh, the things that would be commented on that. So let's pray first. Father, we thank you that you speak the truth and you use servants like me, humble, uh, unable in my own strength to do, say, accomplish anything. But through your power, through your strength, uh, we see life come. And I pray for every heart, every mind, every soul, everybody who's listening to this today, that their hearts would be transformed, especially for those who are in that season, in that time right now of uh, terrors, as Scripture says, terrors on every side. Not just one thing troubling us, but Lord, many things troubling us. And I pray this message would be a profound influence in their life and uh, something that they would be able to remember. This was a marking, a time of marking where things began to be changed in my life. We thank you for this grace to be able to do this and believe this. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm chapter 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? We understand here, uh, David, from chapter 1 through now into chapter 10, is asking questions, a lot of questions. He's li- he has a lot of concerns, or certain things he doesn't understand. And I'm so thankful that he sets a precedent for us, gives us a model of someone who can honestly trust the Lord. I can bring everything in my heart to the Lord. I don't have to hide anything to the Lord. He asked in previous chapters, how long, O Lord, how long, or why do you allow these things to happen in my life? And now he's saying, while these things are happening in my life, why is it that you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble. I wonder if any of you feel that way. God, at the moment, my most troubling hour, it seems like you're distant. Verse two, here's the reason now, uh, verse two through 11, begin to describe what it is that's causing him to feel that God is distant from him or hiding himself in the times of trouble. He's about to now describe the trouble. And I think if you listen carefully, you're going to see some of the troubles that you might have in your life. These are things were written for our account to be a blessing and a transformative power in our life. Verse two, in arrogance, the wicked hotly pursued the poor. Uh, The word poor there is the the same word later on that we read is about the word afflicted, an affliction on you, a trouble on you, a trial on you, a sickness on you, a pain, a sorrow on you. Uh, In arrogance, they hotly pursue those who are facing these dilemmas. Let them be caught in their schemes uh, that they have devised for the wicked boast of the desires of their soul. Now, I want to skip real briefly to verse 17 because uh, I want to show you, before we read this whole chapter, a contrast. Verse four, 3, the wicked boast of the desires of his soul. Verse 17, O Lord, hear the desires of the afflicted. There are conflicting desires. There's the desire of the evil one. There's the desire of the world, the flesh, and the devil to uh, afflict your soul. And then your afflicted soul has a desire, O Lord, hear my cry. And that's what this chapter is. It is so emotional. It, it is it's so down to earth. It so talks about the reality of the struggles that all of us face in our lives. So the, the wicked are boasting of the desires of their soul and the one greedy for the, uh, to gain curses and renounces 
the Lord. There's a renunciation of the Lord. Verse 4, in his pride, the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. The, the ways of, uh, his ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of sight. As for his foes, he puffs at them. In his heart, he says, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing, deceit, and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and in hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless, listen to this, this is the helpless. This is how you and I feel sometimes when this enemies come in, when the evil one comes in like this. The helpless are crushed. They sink down. They fall by his might, the power of, of this, this dark, these dark forces. Verse 11, and he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Verse 12, now it turns into a cry here. Arise, O Lord, God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. David, is, uh, the psalmist, is thinking of himself here. Don't forget me. He's also preaching to us. Lord, don't forget the afflicted out there, the many problems that people are facing. Why do the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call him to account, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commit himself, for you have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever. The nations perish from his hand. O Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart you will incline their ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. I want to give you first what I believe is an encapsulation or the premise of this chapter and is the, as the premise of what I want to try to bring to your heart and mind today. And here it is. I believe we would all acknowledge that terrors, trials, and troubles will come our way. Let me say that one more time. I believe we would all acknowledge, believe in the reality of, that terrors, trials, and troubles will come our way. That is how this chapter ends. Strike the terror no more. That's the cry. That's the desire. That's the passion. That's the unmet need at this point. That's why he's wondering, God, why do you seem so distant from me? Why do you stand so far away? Because of the terrors are striking me. And I want to pray, Lord, let these terrors strike no more. Let this sickness strike no more. Let this marriage problem strike no more. Let my friendship uh, dilemma strike no more. Let my loss of, of finances strike no more. There are things that are striking you today, my friend. And, and God wants you to have this cry in your heart, Lord, let them strike me, this terror, let it go away, let it not strike me any longer. But we acknowledge that there are times and seasons in our life where we are going through terrors, trials, and troubles, they, that they will come. Part B of this is important, though. What is harder to bear is our unrealized desires that are not being attended to. So here's what I'm saying. Part one is we're going to find trials, tribulations, and troubles, and terrors in our life. But what is more difficult to deal with is when we feel like our uh, desire for healing, our desire for these terrors to be taken away from us, when we get to the point where we feel like we're not being heard, we're not being seen, we're not being understood, that our only hope is in trusting in God, and yet God seems absent. 
and I've had this happen so many times in my 40 plus years of pastoral ministry, that the problems that people come into my counseling office for is not necessarily the problem itself, the marriage, the, the teenage runaway child, that is certainly the terror of their heart. But, but the thing that adds to that terror is, I've prayed about this, and it doesn't seem like God hears me. I've cried myself a river of bed and tears at night, and, and I just don't seem to be able to, to get a hold of God. I don't know where he is in this hour of my trial. And that is horribly terrifying. That is frightening because if God doesn't come through for us, if we can't put our hope in God, if we can't trust God to be the breakthrough for us, then we're left to our own devices. We're, and we're really wasting our time. We're like Paul saying, if this thing is not true, you know, we're, we're more accursed than any other people. Uh, the, this, this thing of the resurrection and the cross and the life of Jesus. And so th- this seems to be saying the same thing. God, these terrors, if, if, if you can't bring them to be no more in my life, where do I turn? Uh, there's nowhere to turn but to you. I, I have no hope but I, unless I place my hope in you. And, and this message today is, pre- is, is, is presented to you particularly for those who are in need. And, and if you're not in that hour right now and you know somebody who is, I want to ask you to send this message to them, forward it to them, let them have a link of this message so they could say, yes, I'm in a time of trials. I'm in a time of terror. But what I'm really having trouble with is I have these desires. The, 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 that's, that's verse 17. Hear the desire of the afflicted, that, that there be terrors no more. That's my desire. But this desire right now is going unmet. I, I know what this is like. I have shared my own family testimony with you many times, but I have seen the terror of wondering if my son was going to live because of a drug addiction. I was frightened. I was in terror day and night. What if he overdoses? What if he gets put in jail? What if he commits a crime? What if he ends up homeless and the rest of his life wandering around in this abusive drug and just missing out on all that God has for them, the man that God intended him to be? And, and I would have this terror this terror strike me, the terror of the evil one trying to destroy my son, to destroy my family, to destroy our family's testimony. Here it is, David Wilkerson, the founder of Teen Challenge, and now here it is, uh, just a generation or two later, they can't even keep themselves out of trouble. And so this was terror to me. But this, the secondary terror was, God, are you hearing me? Because the more I prayed, the worse he got. And, and, and it just was, it, it grieved my heart. Lord, uh, if I've ever needed you to stand with me, I, I need you to stand with me now. I need you to stand with me in this pain and this sorrow and this suffering and this confusion and, and, and it's causing some doubt. That's my honest confession. It's causing some unbelief. Are you really there? Are you really powerful? Is your word really true? Are your promises really active in our day? Uh, do you exist? Even what the enemy would have us wind up asking ourselves these questions. Now, many of us as Christians who have especially been in church for any season of time, we, we don't want to go there. We, we don't want to be honest like, like the psalmist is being honest here of, of really questioning where are you, Lord? See, we, wanna, we, we, we don't want to go down into the valley. We want to be on this one side and there's terrors and trials bringing us down, but we don't want to face them. We don't want to face the pain. We don't want to face the sorrow. We want to just jump right over it to the other side and say, everything's fine. Uh, you know, and throw out a, a scripture verse or two, which please understand, I trust the scripture, but throw them out before you really have that confidence in your heart. And sometimes before you get to the place of having confidence in that word from the Lord, you have to go through that valley. 
you have to search out this thing. You have to wrestle with God to, to a degree. You have to, to, to come into the sense of, Lord, this thing doesn't make sense. It, you have to. Here's what I would say to you. Jesus, when he preached his first sermon in the temple, he gets up and he opens Isaiah 61, and he begins to speak about people that are brokenhearted, that, that are downcast, that are mourning. But it's to those, listen to this, this is so important. He, he says, for those who are mourning, you'll be comforted. But many of us want to be comforted without being mourned, mourning first. And so we won't go into the mourning. We won't feel what we're really feeling. And so we'll repress it down into, our, in, in, into a place where it almost seems invisible, under the waterline, the tip of the iceberg that we show people in our family, in our church, in our job. The tip of the iceberg is, I'm happy. I'm a happy Christian and everything's well. But underneath, there's this boiling cauldron of pain and sorrow and suffering that we don't truly address. We repress it because we begin to think to ourselves, well, this thing can't be of God or this is going to get God angry at me. Well, let me tell you, my friend, if you're feeling this, God knows it already. And therefore, expressing it to him opens it up outside of this hidden place. And we know this from David's own confession there. When he hid his sin, his bones were sick. He was a man of sorrow. But when he confessed to the Lord, new life sprung into his heart. And I want to encourage you to confess to the Lord, not in a place of accusation of God, not in a place of murmuring and complaining like the children of Israel. We warned against that. But in a place of honest confession to the Lord, Lord, please hear the groaning of my heart. Please hear my cry and, and attend unto my prayer. That's what the psalmist is wanting here. I want to be attended to. Just like a, a baby that's crying in a crib, if the mother doesn't come and comfort that child, that child is going to find their heart wounded. They're going to find themselves having a sense of abandonment. And, and the psalmist here is, is concerned about the terrors in his life. We don't know what they are. It could have been an army rising against him. It, it certainly was this enemy that he describes here. But, but, if, if, but if we don't get that, ascent, that attention from God, we're going to be living in that woundedness. And so God wants us to cry out, Lord, where are you? I don't feel you. I, don't, I, I, I struggle. Are you, are you near? Are you there? And so here's these two things we're dealing with, the terrors and then the desires for God to be present in our need and break through for us to see the, the things. Now, we know who's bringing these terrors. There's, there's two different elements to this. and I, I, uh, Maybe you see one or the other. Some of us see all things in a spiritual realm, powers and principalities of darkness. Others see things in the people realm. But this chapter is actually describing both. I think it's a very clear description of the evil one himself, Satan, who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It says in here about his heart, in verse 2, it says he is arrogant. In verse 3, it says he is boastful. In verse 3, he says he is greedy and prideful. We look at the same chapter and we see his actions. He hotly pursues uh, those who, are, who are, are poor. The reason is he wants to gain in his greediness. He wants to get your heart away from God. He wants you to doubt God. Uh, he says there is no God. He puffs at those who, who, uh, uh, who, who come against him. That, that word there means, you who do you think you are? Is God going to do anything about this? It's a scoffing. It's a cynical attitude. And so uh, this, in, in verse uh, six, he says, I shall not be moved. Uh, I'm going to continue to kill, steal, and destroy, to lambast believers in God, and I'll never be moved from that. And you see that arrogance. And then you begin to look at them. And you go like, well, it says here, 
verse 5, the psalmist has been convinced that his ways, look at verse 5, his ways prosper at all times. He, he's saying he's believing in all these lies and he's puffed up in his own pride and arrogance and yet he's prospering in these things. And here I am, poor. Here I am. Look at verse 10. Here, here's the difference between me and, and him. He, he's puffed up, pride, arrogance, uh, violence, and he's getting away with it. And he's, and he's saying, I don't even believe in God, and if he's there, he's not going to bother me. He's not going to get in my way of doing all these things, wicked things. And then on my hand, uh, on, on my side of the story, here's my story. I'm helpless. I'm crushed. I sink down. I sink down. I just, I'm sinking in, in the pit of this thing. I'm sinking in accusations. I'm, I'm sinking in the lies of the devil. I'm sinking in, in, in my faith. My, my faith is diminished because all these attacks seem to be prospering. Uh, and, and then I f I'm fallen. I'm fallen down. I've just, it's not just sinking anymore. I've just, I feel like I've just fallen on my face, hopeless, helpless. Where is the power of God? That's what he's saying. He starts verse 10. I'm helpless. I'm helpless when I'm crushed. I'm helpless when I'm sinking down. I'm helpless when I fall by his might, the might of the evil one. Or secondly, it could be the might of the, not only the evil one, but the people that are following. You remember Jesus said to the Pharisees who were working evil, you do what your father the devil tells you to do. You, you lie because he's a liar. You do these things because it's natural to you. And so this is a, a chapter that's dealing with powers and principalities, the evil one himself, but it's also dealing with people in our lives. It's dealing, man, can we get real here for a minute? It's dealing with that wicked spouse. It's dealing with that, 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 that man that, that beats you down, not necessarily even physically, although that can be a, certainly a terror in our life as well. It's happening far too much in our world today. But it can be the, the, can be the, the terror of false accusation. It can be the terror of belittlement. It can be, it can be the, 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 just the, these lies of the enemy, these people come against you in your marriage. It could be the hurt of a child. Um, how many moms have been hurt uh, when their children, they don't quite understand what they're saying, but they say things like, mom, I hate you, or I never want to talk to you again, and, and that mother will get a, an ache or a groaning, a terror in their heart. What if this child grows up to hate me? What am I doing wrong? And so, again, it, it causes us to be crushed, to sink down, to fall there's evil people in our life. There's sadly even, even peop evil people in the church, people who gossip about you, pastors who will uh, neglect you, who will, will falsely accuse you. Uh, and it's certainly important for us to listen to what others say to the degree that if there's certain truth, even when a man was accusing David one time and he was, he was spewing out curses and his, his own soldiers wanted to kill that man, and David said, no, let him speak because maybe he's saying something from the Lord. Now, later on, David understood it wasn't from the Lord, and he was able to resist that false accusation, that lie. Uh, but, but, uh, so I'm saying two things at the same time here that I think is important. Make sure you don't get haughty and prideful yourself to where you get in the place, no matter what anybody says about you, no matter what, what uh, they try to bring to your attention, you're saying, well, that's a lie. But at the same time, don't believe lies, but believe the truth. If there is a truth being said about you, accept it, acknowledge it, confess it, but don't believe the lies. Don't confess a lie. See, Satan will try to do that in your life. He's done that for me so many times. He speaks something in my mind. He, he says, you're a loser. You're worthless. You're no good. And instead of rejecting that lie, what do I do? I repeat it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not clever enough. How many times have I wasted anguish in my own soul after I've preached a sermon and I go down to the side of the platform 
And, and before I have a chance to talk to people, the accusers saying, yeah, that, that was unclear, that was, that was poorly delivered, that had no content to it, you missed the mark, you, that, that was all carnal, fleshly self-ambition up there in the pulpit, and just these accusations. And then the problem with these accusations is you begin to believe them. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that, I'm a terrible person. God wants you to be free of that. Come, come into the joy of, of knowing God, if you're convicting me of sin, I can accept the truth of that and find joy and freedom and overcoming power. But if there's a lie being accused, uh, an arrow being thrown at me, I'll have that shield. I'll know the truth. I'll be so attuned to your presence that I'll know the truth between what is the true and what is a lie. And once you have that, you're going to find greater joy, greater power, greater deliverance in our life. The third thing we see here is not just the evil one himself, and not just evil people, but the inclinations of our own heart to accuse ourselves. We oftentimes don't need the devil or other people in our life to accuse ourselves. We are our own worst enemy. We will belittle ourselves. We will diminish ourselves. We will take on a task and feel like we never do it well enough. That's where perfectionism comes from. And so a part of what the psalmist is saying here is some of the helplessness we're feeling, some of the crushed if that's a word we're feeling, that sinking down sense or falling in the sense of like, I can't do this, is not only from the devil or others, but sometimes it's from ourself. And the Holy Spirit is about to tell us here in this message today how to quiet all three of those voices and come into victory. That's what God has for us. And so we, we see here then the, the path. In the last few minutes I have with you, I want to show you a path to come out of believing those lies come out of accepting those lies, come out and, 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 and in conclusion then end up believing that God does hear our cry, that he is not absent, that he is present. I want to talk about four quick things. Number the first one is in verse one, is, and I call it the cry. The second one is called the call. The third one is called the commitment. And the fourth one is called the confidence. These are four steps that I believe if you'll take these four steps, you'll find these lies quieted in your life, these terrors shut down. You'll find, I'll go ahead and give you the promise in advance. You'll find verse 18, the reality, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man, whether that man be the devil, whether that man be an enemy or that man be yourself, so that that man who is of the earth, it's that meaning of the flesh, carnal, worldly, demonic even, so that that man may strike terror no more. How do we get there? Number one is a cry. So you take the cry of your heart. Why, Lord? Don't be afraid to ask that question. Why, Lord? I don't understand this. You see, you're going down into that valley, and that's where you meet God. That's where you find the answer to his presence. That's where that wrestling takes place, where you come away touched. Yes, maybe limping, but touched by the power of God, having prevailed with God. Come honestly before him, Lord. Why do you stand so far away? Why does it seem like you're not hearing my cry? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You know, I've had many seasons of wrestling with a particular aspect in my life. Some people have lust, some people have pride. One of the things I wrestle with, I'm, I mean, maybe I'm like a Thomas, I, I wrestle sometimes with doubt. Are you real? Are you really there? Are you present? And, and like I said, the worst of all, do you, do you really exist? How do I know you really exist? And sometimes it seems like you're so distant. I was telling you earlier about my son who had run away from the Lord and got into drugs and homelessness. And, and as I was crying out to God, why are you there? I'd, and my prayer was this, God, my wife, I can hold her hand and I can, I can cry with her 
and she can speak words that my eardrums reverberate and I hear her speak and I, I can see her face and I can kiss her lips and we can, we can hold each other in those moments of terror and trial. Those nights where you're homeless son, you don't know whether he's alive or dead, you, you, you have that connectedness. And God, I, I confess, Lord, I, I don't have that with you. I, I don't feel that same. I, I do feel your presence when I'm worshiping. When I read the word, I feel you're there. But, but in these times of trial and trouble, I just I don't have that hand to hold. I don't have that physical body to, to to wrap around. I don't have your arms physically to pick me up. It's this the spiritual element is hard for me to grasp, and so I had to ask these questions: Why, oh Lord, oh Lord? And then something happened. My son miraculously. I don't want to go into the whole story, but within one day, um, a taxi driver wouldn't take him as he was running to the airport. That taxi driver was a Christian, and instead of taking him to the airport where he would flee the rehab, the Christian rehab program was in. The, the, the taxi drivers stopped and said, I'm going to pray for you because you don't need to run. You need to go back there. And the driver even said, I'll even take you back there, no charge. Uh, uh, and then there were several other things. People, uh, by, by, you know, at least I can count on two hands the, the amount of people that God sent to protect my son, to get him in the right place to where he could be recovered, where he could be whole, where he could be healed, where I could have this answered prayer. That man strikes terror no more. I had the reality of that. And I could thank God. I could look to God now and say, okay, God, I didn't have your physical hands. You are, you, God is spirit. And, and, and maybe we feel we're missing something when his physical hand can't touch us, when we can't hear his heartbeat on up to his chest uh, in a physical sense. But what the Lord says to us, but he has that in the spirit, so he's everywhere. He's in a thousand people that his, his spirit lives in them and he's moving through them, never feel like you're alone. Never feel like you're abandoned. Ask God. But one of the things God will tell you probably be one of the same things. When you cry, I'll show you. Not just my hands, not just my heart, not just my eyes, but I'll show you in a multitude of people all around you. In that pastor that cares, that friend that calls you in the middle of the night, says, I'm praying for you. That taxi driver that stops your son from running away from getting the help that he needs. God sends miracles, and he's doing that for you if you'll just recount that, if you'll remember that, and cry out, God, show me your power. Show me your glory. Other prophets did that. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Was the cry in the New Testament about the Old Testament power. We want that kind of power of, of God's presence, and it is there. And so my own heart of doubt, when I wrestled with God, I began to see God work in new ways. If I had just stayed on the surface, the superficial, the, the tip of the iceberg, uh, and not dealt with what's underneath my heart, I would have not dealt with the doubt that I actually was feeling. And so God allowed me to speak doubt and unbelief to him, uh, and, and not just superficially confess that I believed you and, and sort of tried to say things that would make my mind change when those realities would just then be repressed in my heart and cause more grief later on. No, God says, get down in there and let's dig it up. Let's get to the root of this problem. Let's not stay on the surface and expect a, a bad root to bear good fruit. No, let's change the roots and get dig down to the roots. And God was doing that in my life. And he, and, and he showed me through his goodness that he's there that he's present, even when I, when I doubt. So the cry is, is so important to us. Then in verse 12, he says, Arise, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. So he's saying, God, I'm wrestling with you, but, but I'm gonna, uh, uh, and I'm crying out to you. I'm not afraid to cry out in honesty, but now I'm gonna make a call. God, would you do this? 
you see, there's a little bit of a shift here now from just a, 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 an absolute terror cry into now, like there's a little bit of confidence coming. I'm beginning to say, well, wait a minute, maybe I, can, maybe I can call on God to move. Not just ask him where is he, why is he absent, but, but obviously I'm beginning to believe that he's present if I'm asking him to arise. And so he's asking us to arise. Don't forget, God, move by your, lift up your hand. He's showing uh, here there's, there's, there's a sense of understanding. There's, there's a power available to us. And then in verse 14, let's look at that. But you do see, now, now you see the change that's taking place. For you note the mischief and the vexation. In other words, God is recording all of these accusations, whether they're the ones you say about yourself, other people say about you, or Satan, lies, the liar that he is himself. God is taking notes. He, he, he is recording. He's putting a note down. Look at this mischief. Look at this vex, vexation. There, there are vexa, vex, there's vexation towards the poor. The, the, the poor are being help, made helpless, crushed, sink down, fall by the might of this one. And God is saying, I'm watching out for that. Oh, what does that do for your soul? When you know that God is listening, he's hearing your cry, but he's also watching what the evil one does because he's about to destroy it. God is not taking note just to say like, well, I have record of it in case something comes up. No, he's taking note of it because judgment is coming. God is going to judge Satan. He's going to throw him in the pit for forever and ever. Uh, un unlockable chains he's there forever your enemies will be vanquished and that still voice inside of you God is about to give you a new voice a new song and thirdly we see here in verse 14 that you may take it into your hands uh, to you the helpless commit themselves so you're confessing to Lord uh, I don't feel your presence all the time and I'm crushed and I'm sunk down but and I'm helpless but look at this, but I'm going to commit myself to you. I don't always feel like this. I'm still maybe in some wrestling moments in my life, but I'm commit my heart to you. I'm going to commit not just the tip of the iceberg, but I'm going to commit these things that are deep down in my heart that trouble me. I'm going to commit myself to be healed of these voices that break my heart, that crush me. I, I commit this to you. And then lastly, in verse uh, 18, uh, so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This is the last of the four steps. It's confidence. It's a bold confidence. It's a, it's a glorious confidence. It's a confidence that says, I know my Redeemer lives. I know he's heard my cry. I know he's not been absent. I know he's seen me when I've been helpless and crushed and step, stepped on and fallen over. I know when these people lie about me. I know when my husband falsely accuses me or my wife screams uh, obscenities at me and it makes me feel just so degraded, downcast. I, I know what it's like to have a, a prodigal son. I know what it's like to hear that medical report. I know what these things do to a sunken down heart. But Lord, you've heard my cry. You've heard the call. Arise, O Lord. You've seen me commit my heart to you. I'm looking to no other source. I'm not looking to Egypt. I'm not looking to the arm of the flesh. I'm looking to you. I commit my heart to you. And out of that comes now confidence. It's not your confidence. It's not your confidence in uh, some uh, happenstance taking place. It's a confidence in the power of the Lord. It's a confidence. I trust you, Lord. It takes on two forms. One, confidence, Lord, if you were to take away the storm, I have confidence that you are capable of doing that. All power resides in you. The second type of confidence could be, Lord, there's still a storm raging, but you've done something to my soul. You've done something to my heart. You've put confidence that a day of redemption is coming, a day of, of recompense is coming, a day of deliverance is coming. And that's what this last verse here is, 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 the, is the hope of every believer. 
It's the hope of everyone in terror. It's the hope of everyone who's ever been abused. It's the hope of everyone who's been hurt and wounded. It's the hope of everyone who feels alone and downcast. It's the hope of everyone who cries themselves to sleep at night. It's the hope that it says, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. He's going to take that individual man, whether it be Satan, whether it be the people around you, or whether it be that own vo- the, the, the negative voices that call against you. He's going to take that man, that particular one. It's not just a, here's what the good news is. This is not just a random sort of like, he's going to generally try to make things better. No, he's going to pinpoint it. I'm taking notice of what Satan said about you, and I'm going to bring a rebuke against him. I'm going to call him the liar that he is, and I'm going to quiet his voice in your life. Oh, those false accusers, whether it be even somebody in your own family or in your own church or on the job, in your neighborhood, and, I, and I'm going to take note of that, and I'm going to quiet that, the, the, that man of this earth. He's going to strike terror no more. He's not going to be terror to you. He may still lie. Satan won't stop lying till he's, he's vanquished, or he's been vanquished, but till he's put away. But, but while he's lying, he's not going to strike terror in you anymore. You're, go- you're going to scoff at him. You're going to, to laugh at his, his false accusations. You're going to know it's false. You're going to know that those lies are not true, and you're going to be able to say, no, I believe God is not absent. I believe he's present in this circumstance. He's taking note of everything, and there's the day coming where he's taking action, and I trust him in the meantime. I'm waiting on him in the meantime because I believe that God is good and he's faithful. We see this in conclusion in the cross of Jesus Christ, that he went through that, uh, that Good Friday, that, 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 that the trial, the crown of thorns being placed on his head, then, then brought into the place of false accusation. These lies are coming against him. And, and he, he prays this verse one prayer. Are you absent, Lord? Why do you forsake me is, is the words that Jesus used. Why, why, do, why have you abandoned me in my hour of terror? And, and so Jesus is not only redeeming us at that hour, but he's showing us the path that he oftentimes brings us through that we must die to ourselves as well and be raised again with Christ Jesus. And so Jesus goes into that valley, and in that valley there's that terror, but he comes up out of it in resurrection on that Sunday. And my wife and I have been listening to to another preacher, and he's been saying to us, oftentimes we start on the Friday, but that Sunday is going to be there, but we want to just go right over top of it in the surface, not feel any of the pain and sorrow. But this death works something in us. This death kills the flesh. This death kills sin. This, this death kills the, 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 the confidence that's more in the world and in the flesh and in believing the lies. All those things are nailed to the cross and then there's a resurrection. And you can't get there through denial. You can't get there through repression. That will just do more harm in your life. You'll get there through understanding the work of Jesus on the cross. And that, that's why he came. Going back once last time to... Isaiah 61 that he quotes in Luke chapter, I believe it's four, that he quotes, the spirit of the Lord is on me. I'm about to proclaim some liberty to people today. That's what I'm doing here in this message. I'm about to, to just wanna, I wanna shout this to you, that this, this year of liberty is coming. This season of the terror being no more is coming. Trust God for that, but feel it first. Feel what you're feeling. Be honest before God and let him raise you up to new heights. It's a supernatural work then. It's not you trying to do your own work. It's God's work. And let him raise you up to new heights where you have now this last confidence in the Lord. You've brought me through these other, these cries, these calls, the, the, the commitment, and you're leaving me now in this place of confidence. And this is not just a one-time battle. 
the next uh, terror will come along and strike you, and you have to go through the same thing over again, the cry, the, the, the call, the, the confidence that we conclude within the Lord. And, and this is a cycle that happens in our, in our life, but every time it happens, it raises up to us to new heights. And so we, we don't look at battles, we don't look at troubles uh, as if God is punishing us. We look at these battles as God causing us to training our hands for war, training us to be victors and not victims in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for you in closing. Father, I pray for any brother or sister who's listening to me who understand far more than they would ever want to what it's like to be struck by terrors, deathbed experiences, family horrors that just tear and rip the families apart, stories of childhood abuse, of of addictions that have so broken and sunk down our heart, our life, our soul, our mind, leaving us destitute of everything. God, we, we know what it's like to have those terrors. And that's why I've preached this message. That's why you've accompanied this message clearly with your Holy Spirit's power to take those who are in this place and, 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 and just speak to them first of all. Go ahead and cry. Cry out to me. Let the hurt, let the hurt out. Don't, don't repress the hurt. Lord, I, I know you've taught me so many times before that, that, that if I repress the hurt, it turns into anger. Because anger is a lot easier to feel than sorrow. It, it's easy to snap at people and fight back. But Lord, to, to dig down and say, Lord, why is sorrowful? And Lord, we, you want us to feel that sorrow so that you could heal it. You say you comfort those who mourn. You don't comfort those who disguise the pain. So comfort us in our mourning. But let us, let us be free to mourn because out of that will come this comfort. And Lord, that's what this psalm, Psalm 10, does for us. It gives us the confidence of this comfort. This, uh, that probably should have been another uh, letter that starts with a C that I should use in this message. Lord, it ends in comfort, the comfort of the soul. So I'm praying right now, Jesus. This would not just be uh, a sermonic tool that we've used today with these letters of, that start with C, but Lord, that it would be a real work that your Spirit does, that you would bring us to this place of confidence in you, and that would allow the comfort to come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Wash away, wash away right now all shame and guilt and fear and doubt and unbelief and striving. And Lord, let us know that that's, it's, you're, you're willing to allow us to cry. And that's taking us to the place you want us to go. And Lord, I ask you now in the name of Jesus to strike these terrors, the, these family terrors, these addiction terrors, these lust terrors, these doubt terrors. Strike them right now, God, so we could say with the psalmist, no more. No more, no more in Jesus' name. Started this message by saying, is God absent? I hope you understand by now, he's anything but absent. He's there, he's present, and he's at work on your behalf. God bless you. Join us again next uh, episode as we look at chapter 11. And I uh, want to make sure you get the study guide. That's available to you at our website, www.worldchallenge.org. God bless you. Thanks for letting us be with you here today.